0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of 6 Minute Counselor. I'm Gary, your host, and this week we have Carrie Breedlove, who's a Christian counselor up in Denton, Texas. I will have all of her contact information in the actual interview and on my website, youareworthitcounseling.com, as well as my Facebook and Instagram pages. Just a quick note before we get started, I started private therapy uh, back in April of this year, 2022, and one thing they told me to do is contact other therapists and counselors... And network, get feedback, get advice, and so I did that. And unfortunately, some of the counselors I contacted either never responded or did respond saying, I don't have time to meet with you, which is fine. They don't have to. I met Carrie just through uh, Facebook posts that she had made in some of the mental health groups, and I contacted her just asking for advice and guidance, and Carrie was so incredibly sweet, sent me a big, long message on Facebook of different things I, I can be doing to Increase my visibility, networking, marketing, and she didn't have to, nor did she really know me. So if you're looking for a counselor who not only is good at what she does, but is genuinely a sweet person, Carrie Breedlove is your person. Well, hello everybody. Uh, I have the uh, pleasure of interviewing uh, Carrie Breedlove for the next six minute counselor interview. Um, Carrie is a licensed professional counselor. She's also trained in EMDR. That's that I'd like to get uh, trained here in the next few years, uh, Carrie helps women find joy on their unchosen journeys through Christian based therapy and her practice breed love counseling.com. That's B R E E D love And I will make sure to put links to your website and all that good stuff on my Facebook page, Instagram, as well as the website. So if you, any of y'all are like, what was that website? You can find it on that stuff. Um, uh, later on. So Carrie, how are you doing?
1: Great. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me on. I really feel honored just to be able to speak about counseling and about my practice, so thank you so much for having me.
0: Perfect. Like, pleasure is my, all mine. The, the first one I did, I was like, I'm looking forward to this, and it was a lot more fun than I thought. I thought it was going to be a blast, so uh, this is just, this is a treat for me, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh okay, we'll get started. Um, a couple questions, just, just some general questions. And I always love people's uh, response to this because I've heard a million different ones. But what made you want to get into the mental health industry?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. I think probably for most people, it goes way back even into early childhood, probably for a lot of people and just what kind of gets them interested in the field that they end up in. There's different influences and factors. And so for me... My parents were uh, part of a church growing up, and so they would regularly be having people in our homes that they were mentoring, discipling, encouraging, and they were just really modeling being with other people and helping people along the way in their faith and just in life, even practical kinds of life help. And I just saw that modeled and I really think that set a really just a good stage for it. But then also just I feel like how God just naturally gifted me and interested me in being able to listen to others and help others. My parents will tell the stories where I'm like going to mom or going to dad, you know, do you have a problem with mom or what's going on over there? And like <laughs> trying to resolve conflict, you know, just even as a kid being interested in that kind of work and and those kind of relationships. So really from early on, I feel like the seeds of that were born. And then just along the way, um, I just had a desire to help other people. And one of my first jobs, first big real adult jobs was at Denton County MHMR, working in crisis intervention, case management services. And in the beginning, I felt super overwhelmed by that. But the longer that I stayed there, the more I really saw it as such a great fit. And I just love the work and love the experience of being with people.
0: That's awesome. I, I've worked for not Denton County, but a different MHMR never worked in crisis. So you definitely have my sympathy and respect uh, for doing that. That's something I don't know if I would be very good at. So uh, kudos to you for for doing that. And That's a very much, much needed service that, you know, a lot of people uh, would not have otherwise. So thank you for doing that. So you you mentioned you worked at the Denton MHMR. Uh, now you're in private practice. What made you want to move from a community mental health center to working in private practice?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different factors there. So as I started getting my licensure, Really the thing that sent me back to school in the first place, and this is a big part of my story that I talk openly about, is that my husband and I have been on our own journey of infertility, our own unchosen journey, as I speak about, uh, of infertility. And so I thought, well, I can't have kids, so what do I need to be doing with my time right now um, as we're trying to sort this out? And I thought, well, might as well go back to school. (laughs) So I went back to school and got my degree in rehabilitation counseling and, um, just started, you know, figuring out what I was going to do from there and worked. I finally left MHMR, obviously looking for greater pay and and all of that after having you, you been to school, you got your license. So um, I was looking for that, but also just looking for new experiences. And so I worked at a small integrated health clinic and was just had a lot of opportunity to implement things that, you know, inside of a community mental health system, you have limitations on what you can do just due to the way that it's structured, you know, and so I had a lot of freedom and flexibility there, got a taste of that, loved it. And then just decided, okay, I think that the next step for me was either to work for an insurance company or launch out into the brave unknown of private practice. So I thought, you know, I think private practice is going to be a good fit for me. And it's something that I'm curious to pursue. And it just seemed like the next step where God was leading me.
0: You thought about doing insurance,
1: Well, that's why, I mean, I know it sounds strange to think like one or the other. I'm sure there's many, I know there's many other options in between. But I had seen a lot of people from our mental health center that got their license, go on to make great money in the insurance industry and working for an insurance company and all of those things. So I thought, well, is that what I'm supposed to do? But I talked to some of them and they're like, Hey, what we know of you and how you love being like in the trenches with people. I don't know that that's going to be the best fit for you. Uh, Maybe you'll like the money, but just the interactions with people and the way that it was, they encouraged me to consider other options. And so here I am in private practice.
0: So those of us, uh, those of you listening who are mental health professionals, uh, licensed, unlicensed, would like to be um, look working in insurance as an LPC. What, like, what, what would one do with that? Is it approving, like, insurance claim submission, things like that?
1: Yeah, there's a variety of different things, and I can't speak super great to it since I've not worked in that industry. But just from what I know, you know, it's considered utilization review would be oh, another yeah. kind of word there, um, where you're reviewing people's stay or giving input on if does this person, you know, perhaps need you know inpatient versus outpatient care. There, there's so many different ones. I mean. Within an insurance company in and of itself, there's a lot of different roles that an LPC could play, but, um, and they're needed, you know, they're needed there because we are using insurance. So, Mm -hmm. um, definitely a place for people, you know, to find, um, experience, but maybe not as much just face-to-face with the client. It's more on the back end.
0: Yeah. That sounds for me personally, dreadfully boring, but there is a counselor I used to work with. I think she was a phenomenal counselor and she worked, she moved into, um, doing that I said, you're going to sit in front of a computer and stare at a screen all day. She was like, I can't wait. So go for it. (laughs) Go for it.
1: For some people, when they've cut their teeth in community mental health and they've gotten that burnout bill, it really can be a nice Mm -hmm. option. You know, and some of the people that I talked to, it was a great fit for them and they actually really loved it. And I know quite a few people that have stayed long term there.
0: And that's something that I know sometimes people kind of poo poo uh, insurance using insurance for mental health because it's like, well, then the insurance company gets to dictate what, what to do. And it's just someone, you know, this and that, Uh, but it's reassuring to hear, because I wasn't fully aware of this, reassuring to hear that, you know, those aren't just, you know, random people off the street, looking at numbers and, and diagnostic codes and saying, yes, seven sessions, 10 sessions. So that's, that's reassuring for me to hear on the insurance side. Awesome. Yeah. So. I remember whenever I moved into private practice, one thing that someone told me is like, make sure you have specialties. And I always cringe when someone's like, I I see everything from zero to a hundred, any and all issues. I'm like, ugh. like I, I want you to be specialized in something. So for you and your specialties, what are some of the main things that you specialize in?
1: Yeah, and I do want to say something before I answer that question, just to validate and to affirm what you're saying, because for anyone who might be listening, who's concerned about specialization or having a niche um, for themselves and thinks that they have to see everyone, I was there too. In fact, I feel like there were different messages I was receiving. There was the messages of you got to know everything and see everybody kind of thing. And me going into the field a little bit older, I actually took a tenure gap in between my bachelor's and my master's. And so I had a little bit of a different path than maybe some others that might have gone straight through or have gone into their master's at an earlier age. So I had a lot of experience prior and I, I kind of knew what I liked at that point. You know, I think there's certainly a case to be made for seeing a variety of different things because you, you like a variety of different things, or maybe you've had that experience. But for me personally, I didn't have experience with teens or kids. And so I wasn't interested in going into that at that point in my life or my, career. I really had just mostly worked with adults, you know, and I really wanted to stick with that. And so I had another counselor friend tell me, you know what, I mostly see kids. And that's okay. It's okay if you want to specialize. So I really appreciate hearing that as a new counselor coming into private practice, even though I've been in the field a long time, I was new to private practice. So for me personally, just based on my own past history, my own grief journey and infertility, grief and loss are a big piece of what I do specialize in. And so it's not only something I have a lived experience with, but just a heart for individuals who are grieving in some capacity. So that could be infertility, but it could also be any kind of death. Um, I've seen individuals who have had family or friends that have died by suicide. um, That makes it kind of a complicated grief type of situation for them. Um, Young children that have died in families or neonatal kind of death and just really love sitting with those who are mourning and are grieving and helping them along that journey and just being able to honor that journey and bear witness to it as well as things like anxiety, depression, you know, kind of the run of the mill, just mental health struggles, Mm -hmm. but grief and loss definitely have a very special place in my heart.
0: And I like, so you mentioned, and thank you for for sharing that vulnerability of of just the infertility and and lived experience. And I know my wife and I, our journey started with a miscarriage um, and then we got pregnant and then she decided she was her due date was after Christmas, and I think she heard us talking about Christmas so much that she's like, "I'm going to come two months early." Uh, and so we we spent almost three months in the NICU, a lot of scary tests and whatnot. And that's something I it, it's it, I think it's more common than people realize. And I know when my I don't post much, I need to, but I don't post much on social media. But when my wife posted about uh, the miscarriage, people came out of the woodworks. Oh yeah, I have this this five of them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just not something people talk about. So super uh, excited. And that's something that, um, you know, I think there's a great need for. So thank you for doing that. That's definitely not one of my specialties. I'd love to, but, but I'm I'm glad that we have someone like you uh, who has the ability, both from the lived experience, as well as just your expertise uh, working in that. So that's awesome. So I'm sure you get the same thing, um, friends, family. Hey, Carrie, uh, I need to see a counselor. How do I find you? And you're shaking your head yes, for those of you who are just listening to the audio portion of this. Um, whenever I tell people, I was like, well, you got to know what the letters behind their name mean, what to look for, this and that. And so I've got your little profile pulled up on your website. So Carrie Breedlove, MS, LPC, and EMDR trained. Can you tell me a little bit about what each of those, so MS, that's your master's. That's um, right,
1: master's of science. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, you said it was in rehabilitative counseling?
1: I have rehabilitation counseling at UNT. And so it's a counseling degree program that is like any other counseling program. You get all the same stuff that you get in maybe a general psychology type degree program. But the thing they put emphasis on in the rehabilitation counseling program is disability. So you talk about aspects of disability and counseling within that context as well, both neck up and neck down. And then they also put an emphasis um, as well in the program on employment, just because they are one of the universities that does train the rehabilitation counselors for the state of Texas and provide what's called a CRC certified rehabilitation counselor, which is something that's required if you work in vocational rehab at the state level.
0: Can you uh, elaborate a, listen for a little bit for our listeners? I think when a lot of people hear disability, they hear, you know, well, I think they hear a, a few certain things, but sometimes it's like, oh, that's somebody with a little handicap sticker on their window who maybe have mobility issues and a wheelchair, stuff like that. Can you expand on just some, some of the most common types of disabilities some people may not be aware of?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is going to include anything that impacts your major and daily life function. You know, so that includes all mental health related diagnoses that you would, could think of from anxiety and how that's impacted your life to depression and. Um, also, just any, any kind of physical health diagnosis that someone has that has majorly impacted them. You think about things like in a, the older generation of like arthritis and some of those things that can really dramatically impact your abilities and major life functions. So it really spans a very broad spectrum. I know sometimes disability comes with a certain kind of context, but um, really just anything that is impacting life in a way that is preventing you from participating in life in some way. And and even though, you know, I would say to some degree, infertility does, you know, a major life function is being able to have a family and pursue that if you want to. And so in some ways, um, I don't necessarily see it as a disability. And I think there's, you know, the nuances around that phrase and semantics, you know, around that, but um, just uh, something that's impacting you in a very big way.
0: Yeah. I know it always bugs me when people are like, that person doesn't look disabled, they're walking into the store just fine, it's not just someone in a wheelchair, like there's, there's right. a lot of other I mean,
1: Think about just, just as you said that, it made me think of you know, people that have come through COVID and have long lasting COVID mm-hmm. symptoms, symptoms as a result of that. Um, I've seen people in my practice that have had some of those things related to taste and smell. And so um, that majorly impacts your life. It impacts, you know, how you view yourself, how you view the world, sometimes even how you view God. And so um, even that, you know, is, could fall into that category as well.
0: Perfect. Um, LPC, tell, tell our listeners what that is.
1: So LPC stands for Licensed Professional Counselor. And what that means, it's someone who has come through a master's program, a couple of years of higher education study. They've gone through internships, you know, at the master's level, and now they're pursuing licensure with the state. And so they have 3,000 hours of contact. Part of that is administrative type of contact. And then the other part of that is direct face-to-face counseling hours under supervision of someone else who's licensed as a licensed professional counselor supervisor. And, um, and then, you know, you have your continuing get after that when you have a license and you have a state board that is providing like a check and balance, you know, for counselors and for the community.
0: Yeah, perfect. I like that. And so, you know, it's one thing that whenever I do tell friends or family, like, here's what to look for, it's like, make sure it's not just somebody who, Um, says, oh, I can do this, like prove it, like I want to know, did you take trainings, did you go to school, or do you have ethics to follow, that kind of stuff, and then the last one, like I said, this is one um, I'd like to get uh, in a few years, hopefully, EMDR, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, we could have a whole chat just about that. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, And basically it is one of the gold standard therapies that is evidence-based and researched for trauma. So a lot of research around EMDR was done with individuals who had post-traumatic stress and in the military, but any kind of trauma, not just the big T traumas that people might think of, but in the context of your own life, something emotionally difficult that happened, it could seem insignificant to you in the moment, but it really has... Made a profound impact on you as a person. Um, It could be single incident traumas, you know, like car accidents or um, natural disasters that someone was a part of that has just impacted the way they view the world themselves. And physiologically, their bodies respond in a difficult way when they're triggered by something that reminds them of that event. So um, trauma is very just defined by the person, I think in a lot of ways, but anything that's had a big impact. So EMDR is a way of helping to help the body desensitize. And that's what I love about it. Cause it t- brings the body into the counseling practice, uh, desensitize the way the body is reacting and responding around some of those triggers to widen the, the ability For someone, it's called the window of tolerance, their ability to be able to have margin in life that they feel like they don't have. So someone that, you know, just a classic example of, you know, the door slams and someone jumps and they find that they're in a instant panic attack moment. Mm -hmm. The process of EMDR would help to desensitize that, bring that down in such a way that it neutralizes the trigger. It doesn't erase the memory, doesn't change the memory, but it neutralizes it to where it's more manageable to live with.
0: Yeah, and I like that, the term trigger, and I, I like that you kind of define that because um, I know some people kind of throw that term around. It's like, hey, I don't like your yellow shirt. That's a trigger. It's like, well, is it, or do you just not like yellow? Um, or it could be, yeah, that yellow shirts are for me. That's the shirt that I was wearing when this, this, and so it is indeed a trigger. You know, something like that, um, and kind of what you describe. I know a lot of times that traumatic response. You know, people will say, I felt crazy or no one else is doing this and whatnot. I know I heard, uh, um, it was a D. she said, you acted normally in a very abnormal situation. Like that's like, we're not really designed to react to trauma. And go, oh, well, this has nothing to do with me or this, this stinks, but I'll get there. Like, so I, I love that EMDR does focus on that trigger piece that allows people to, um, you know, maybe think more rationally about things and continue that journey, that recovery from you know, from the trauma, whether single trauma or, or that compound or complex trauma. Uh, yeah, I think so, it's yeah.
1: important what you're saying too about how it's not only just desensitizing the body, but it also incorporates what beliefs have formed around that difficult life experience. Mm-hmm. And so being able to clear the body and then install those truths, those beliefs that you really do want to hold on to, to where they feel more and more True, and you can truly say that they are true now, whereas before it felt like I don't know how true that really feels about me or about the situation, you know, and, and it really helps look at not only just the past things presently how you're impacted but also looking forward to the future, as well as it incorporates all three of those. And it's an eight phase process which a lot of people don't know so there's a lot of different aspects and parts to it.
0: Okay, eight phase like eight sessions or do some phases have multiple sessions.
1: Yeah so um, each phase could have a different amount of sessions the okay. first phases have to do with you know your intake as part of EMDR so when you're doing an intake with someone and you're an EMDR therapist that's part of EMDR is understanding that person and their life history um, another piece is making sure people have really good resourcing skills around what to do when I am triggered. So just practical coping and kinds of skills that are helpful for the mind and the body. And then it moves into the desensitizing piece and also just assessing, you know, what is the worst part of something? What are the beliefs that they have around it? Working through the desensitizing piece into uh, the reprocessing piece. That's the installation of that positive truth belief they want to hold on to reassessing and as well as part of that, to make sure that we're not only looking to, to the future and how do I want to hang on to these feelings in my body and these true beliefs that I now have, how I want to see that played out in the future. And then always reassessing, you know, as someone coming, is coming back in. So just brief little snippet. There's so much more to each of that, but
0: Yeah. So this, so this interview doesn't last uh, 17 hours. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question because I could talk to you all day about that. Uh, And maybe, maybe I I contact you another time and and do a session just on some EMDR and trauma stuff. So Gary, like I mentioned, I, I get this, I'm sure you get this when people say what, you know, I need to find a counselor, a therapist. What are some considerations, what are, or some pieces of advice you give to people when trying to find a therapist or a counselor?
1: Yeah, there, as I was thinking about this, there's several parts to this, I think, are really important because they're the most common questions I tend to get when someone is contacting me. And so I would describe it in this way, investment and direction. So investment, including what is your availability, both inside and outside of the time for you to have that session Um, Do you even have the availability for yourself? And do you want telehealth? Do you want in-person? Really considering those options. And also um, with investment, what is your budget for that? Do you have insurance? Do you have a health savings account or a flexible spending account? A lot of people don't know that those can also be used core of paying for counseling. Um, so what is your budget for that? And do you have insurance you want to use? Cause that really can determine the direction of who you're seeking and, and how you're going about choosing a therapist. And then what your personal goals are, you know, for counseling, what is it that you're hoping for? What are you not able to do right now that you would like to be able to do? What are those pain points in your life? And that you're wanting to address within yourself that are not necessarily dependent upon someone else changing. Um, you don't want to be coming to counseling wanting the spouse to change because obviously we have no control over that. But what is it within yourself? So really kind of knowing what is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're struggling with that you'd like to see changed?
0: I like that. And yeah, man, if I, if I didn't think someone said someone said, well, if, my, if so-and-so was just nicer to me, I'd be, I'd be good. I'm like, well... We'll send them in, then maybe I can convince them to be yeah, nice I you. But until that happens, let's learn. You know what you can do. What what's it within you not to condone or to say it's okay that person's a jerk? But you know that kind of thing. So I, I like that part. And I'm I'm taking notes down here because uh, mm-hmm. I, I always love the question because especially I, I was I, I've, I've spoken with teens sometimes. I'm like, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. Well, everyone has goal. What do you mean you don't know? You know what you're. Do-. So obviously I know you got to ask it in different ways. But I like that. What can you not do? That you want to be able to do. I love that. I'm stealing that next time. I'm I'm doing some goals. Yeah,
1: and and thinking too, like when you're looking for a counselor, do you feel comfortable with a male or a female counselor? Like what you know, even the, um, maybe it's something about that counselor that, that is important to you. Maybe like we talked about lived experience, you want, for, you, know, you can't always get that, but maybe that is something you're looking for, mm-hmm. that they have lived experience or that they, whatever it is that you're bringing to the table, that they have some experience in that area. They've met with other people perhaps that have a similar kind of concern as you. So, you know, they have some experience there and then the type of counseling that you're looking for. Um, and sometimes people may not really know. I know i need counseling what there's all kinds of types of counseling you know and so that even can be helpful if you know what you're looking for or even just kind of exploring what types of counseling are out there so you have a good feel for that which probably leads into your next question about you know if you like you your faith included in the counseling mm-hmm. process moving for a christian counselor
0: yeah and yeah you read my mind and that that is something um uh, that you know i wanted to touch on this i know i reached out to you for a family friend um because i was like i, I know what i've experienced when someone say it says christian counseling but but i was even for me i was like what is christian counseling is that the same as counseling with a christian is you know that kind of thing so um some of the um main difference between christian counselor a counselor who is Christian, but doesn't market themselves as a Christian counselor. Uh, and then just counseling that doesn't mention or highlight religion or spirituality. Sometimes we'll call it secular counseling. So what are, those, what are the differences there? What, what are the main dynamics of a Christian counselor?
1: Yeah, and it's a tricky question to answer actually because there is such a spectrum there of how people would define that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, within the Christian counseling community, you know, you may have some people that really strongly believe in certain ways of going about their practice with their Christian faith incorporated and how they're going to do that, and other people that are maybe a little more fluid with it. So there really is a spectrum there. So I, Think that it's really important that if you are looking for someone who is a Christian counselor, and that you know what you're looking for. Are you wanting someone that you just know that they're Christian? That's really all that matters is they share the same worldview, perhaps, as you, and the same spiritual beliefs. Um, Or are you wanting a counselor who is a Christian counselor who is going to incorporate aspects of your faith into the counseling session? And so, what that can look like, and this does not mean all Christian counselors would do this, that are marketing themselves as a Christian counselor or Christian therapist. Um, I That is another one of my specialties is Christian-based counseling. And so what that looks like for me is incorporating prayer or maybe a scripture or referencing that. And interestingly enough, oftentimes I find my clients are actually the ones that probably use more scripture in session than I do <laughs> even. So um, that is generally who come to find me are women who are looking to speak about their faith and have it integrally involved in this counseling aspect of how they view the world, how they view the issue at hand, their identity, their worldview, and they want that as part of the conversation.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And, and I like that you said, you know, whether it's, it's prayer, or scripture or stuff. I um, uh, you know me personally, I like to give some kind of homework, like here's a worksheet, here's something to do, um, or identify something that I, I want to hear about it next time I meet with you. You know, what did you do instead of Acting out, drinking—you know. Oh, I did this, and I know I had one guy. He was some engaging some things that weren't great for his marriage. And I said, you know, what's? And I said five things. You find five things you can do instead of this activity. When I met, <clears throat> excuse me, I met with him a m- month later, he said, "I've been watching a lot more YouTube church videos." And he said, "I never thought that could take the place of what I was doing before." I'm like, fantastic! I love it. I and I was just like, he. I mean, he had all five listed. excuse me all five listed he'd been using them um and he really and kind of like you said they they sometimes bring up scripture more than you do he did i didn't say like do it secular religion and he was just like church videos and i think there were two or three religious uh christianity focused things that really helped him um completely outside anything i did so i think that's that's really awesome to hear um that aspect of it um so as far as, because I've heard, you know, I want a Christian counseling uh, approach, or I want I want count, like you said, counsel with someone who is a Christian. So maybe not we're talking as much about scripture and prayer, but just someone shares the same worldview. What are some pros and cons you've found in your experience of implementing faith into counseling?
1: Yeah, I love this question. I think there's, there are both really, you know, um, so with the pros, you know, I do see a lot of women who have a really deep sense of comfort, knowing not only that we're sharing the same beliefs, but that there's a comfort level that we're going to pray in session. And they look for that. They're waiting for that. And I've even had people say, okay, wait a minute, we didn't pray yet. You know, like it's really important to them. And so they know that I'm comfortable with that. I'm going to lead with that. And I always ask, is it okay if we, if we pray or is it okay if I pray? I don't Make someone else pray, you know, so unless they want to, you know, um, but some people do, and like, yeah, I want to pray, you know, and that's important to them. And so there's the pros of just knowing that for that individual, there's a sense of comfort there. Um, and that's a huge pro because when there's a sense of comfort, there's also a building of trust and rapport, which is really huge for counseling and that you have a rapport with your counselor. So that can be a helpful piece there. And then, you know, also just For that individual knowing that as we view their life circumstances, um, being able to lay scripture, lay the gospel, lay just the life of Christ, even on top of what they're walking through, there's this um, connection and relationship with God that gets enhanced as a result of that, because that is, you know, especially with someone coming in wanting that as part of their counseling experience that you're developing and working on not only the relationships they have with others, but also with God. And so that can just be really grounding and affirming and rooting you know, for people. And just a piece from knowing that bringing God into the dialogue of what we're doing. I've had clients say, Hey, they're really glad that I do these therapy styles like EMDR, but that it's spirit led and that I'm encouraging them if they are wanting to bring God into that process, whether it's through visual imagery that we're using in the EMDR process or other things have just been really powerful and helpful for them, even in their own faith journey. So those are some of the pros. I would say when it comes to the cons of incorporating faith into the counseling space, I do feel like um, there are times um, for individuals who come from a church background, um, widow, Identify as a Christian. Sometimes we can get a little cognitive on ourselves and giving our Sunday school answers, <laughs> and may have a hard time really being able to just sit with the heavy emotion. Sometimes without uh, without immediately just invalidating ourselves and <laughs> in what we're going through, you know. And so um, sometimes I find that just that inner critic—you could call it the inner Pharisee—if you want, you know. That can just be our beliefs that sometimes can get distorted, even internally, you know, and end up up sort of shielding us away from being able to express and process through past difficult things. So that could be a potential con is when faith almost becomes sort of this protective shield of actually dealing with something. And then also I found when individuals have a really strong disconnect from God, they are Christian, they do believe in the tenets of the Christian faith, but they are struggling with anger towards the Lord for various reasons and things that have happened in life. And so big theological concerns can oftentimes sort of take center stage Um, instead of just what the actual trauma is or what they've been through, God kind of can become a, a scapegoat in a sense, in this negative way, you know, of, um, blaming him for these things and the anger directed towards him to where that can become a focus versus being able to set that aside for a bit, to really just process back through what's actually happened to them, you know, in life, and then incorporating that down the road as they're able to. So. Um, you know, it can be an easy deflection, I think, for people instead of digging into some of those deeper hurts.
0: Yeah. And I know I mean this, I think it's going to be an argument or, or debate uh till the end of time of, you know, well, God said this. Well, no, I think you really said this, and and use those interpretations of of you know what that is. So I, I like hearing that there's, you know, this uh if, if that's what people want, this this. Uh, style or, or, or way of therapy to where we can say, hey, you know, how can we incorporate that into a happy healthy? Um, Whereas, you know, and I've heard, I'm sure you've heard the same, where I grew up in a super duper religious household and they basically told me I'm a bad person for feeling things I'm feeling. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that, you know, and, and kind of work through still with that same, not, I don't want to not be Christian, but I do want to get a better handle on my understanding of this. So uh, that's fantastic that, that it, you're able to um, you know, help implement that um, with counseling, evidence-based, all that stuff, as well as their spirituality, religious beliefs. So that's awesome, mm-hmm. Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I fall into this group, and this is why I contacted you uh, uh, a month or so ago. What are some misconceptions people have about Christian counseling?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it can fall into different categories for people. And um, they might think, oh, this person just going to preach at me. They're just going to give me a verse to take home. And I have, I'm just going to supposed to read that and be better. Or maybe they're going to just um, ex- you know, tell me the things I'm not doing right. Kind of taking more of that, maybe possible judgmentalism. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, be Bible heavy in a sense that's not kind or caring as to what I'm going through. I I think they're, at least from what I've seen, um, that's some of the things that I I see that come out. You may have other things that come to your mind when you think of that. Um, And I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times the ways that individuals are already judging themselves internally Mm -hmm. can get projected onto a Christian counselor or Christian therapist or whatever you want to call it, you know, just. Some of the ways we're already struggling internally in the fear, whether it be from the counselor or anybody else in our life, that that's going to be the um, position that they take, you know, in in my life with me. They're just going to try to tell me what to think or tell me how I'm wrong, you know, and argue with me in some way, you know.
0: Yeah. And that's especially if someone has had a a either bad experience with someone in the church who has just been judgmental, um, telling what to do, that kind of thing, or just anybody. To, get, to say, well, this person's just going to do that. It's like, well, you know, give him a chance. Um, mm-hmm. And I know one of the things, and I, I've heard this just with counseling in general, is like, oh, you're just going to tell me what I'm doing wrong and what to do, right? And I was like, mm, I wish, I mean, that'd be great. If I knew what to do, I'd write a book and be super duper rich, like, that'd be great. But I, I like hearing, um, clearing up that misconception is I'm not just going to bark scripture at you, judge you. Um, you know, yeah. most of my clients, I don't know about yours, they judge themselves enough. They don't need another source of judgment.
1: Right, That's so right. And in some of the Christian counseling circles, I'm a part of and affiliated with the Association of Biblical Counselors. And it's really cool to see just even in some of these, all associations are different. So they're not all going to be the same. But the ones that I've chosen to affiliate with are ones that also incorporate a holistic sense. I mean, even at recent conferences, they've talked about the body and really making sure that people understand how trauma impacts you know, the body and talking about that you know, from how God has created our bodies and how important that is that we take those things into consideration, you know, and in that, uh, especially with the people that I've associated myself with, there's this concept of, it's called love, know, speak, and do. And so the loving and the knowing have to come first, that we're loving the people that are sitting in front of us. We are getting really to know them ever before we're going to try to start speaking into, something you know for them. Um, and I think that goes with friendships, that goes with counseling relationships and building rapport mm-hmm. and then encouraging someone to take action on something. And that could be anything. You know, when we come in even with friendships and someone's telling you like what you need to do, you're like, hey, I just want you to like validate that I'm having a struggle here. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
0: So I'm gonna throw you a curveball. This was not on the list of questions I sent you. Um but especially with this uh the 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 Christian um you know uh, christian bend christian faith that kind of thing i wanted to talk about forgiveness and this is something that i man if, if i could wave a magic wand for a lot of my clients and like forgive yourself like just forgive yourself you know do that and i heard one thing it was uh not forgiving yourself is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick um, or not or sorry not forgiving the other person's like drinking poison and hope they get sick something like that how often do you see this and then how do you utilize that that christian perspective when we are talking about clients who maybe need to forgive themselves for thoughts feelings actions behaviors mistakes they've made yeah
1: i love that question and i take maybe um a unconventional approach that perhaps, I don't know, Um, a different way of thinking about it. I say sometimes the reason I feel like individuals struggle forgiving themselves is because they were never meant to, that we, we are constantly saying, try to forgive myself and I can't. I mean, we hear that over and over again. And I'm like, why is that? You know, if you're the one, and maybe in some cases, someone is genuinely guilty of something, perhaps a lot of cases it's, you know, they're taking on the guilt of something that's not theirs to bear, You know, but I say instead of trying to forgive yourself, what if it was that the gift of forgiveness is offered to you and you're struggling to receive it, Mm -hmm. struggling to open that gift as a Christian counselor, I say, you know, God gives us forgiveness. If you're feeling guilty in the courtroom, you can't just jump over the judge's bench or into the jury and start dealing out, you know, (laughs) you know, forgiveness, (laughs) you know, things to yourself. That doesn't make sense. But what if you were given it and you're struggling to live in the sense that you have already been forgiven mm-hmm. and you're struggling to live within that identity of forgiveness? And so what if, what would it look like if the gift of forgiveness were a gift under a tree, and just like at Christmas, perhaps, and you just left it sitting there, something that someone had given you that had great value and you chose not to open it, chose not to receive it and to utilize it. And just getting people to maybe even just shift perspective and take just a different view of it. And I've seen individuals in my practice just kind of, a, oh, hmm, it gives you kind of a, a permission to not have to figure out this, how am I supposed to forgive myself kind of thing? But just think of it from a different perspective. What if it's just me receiving what's already there?
0: I like that. I, I had a client years ago, very religious woman, very, very sweet lady. And she would, I will never forgive myself what I've done. And I said, Well, would God forgive you? She said, Oh, yeah. I said, So you know better than God? She goes, Whoa, no, 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 that's that's not. <laughs> I said, It's kind of what you're saying. I'm like, I'm throwing some confusion at her. And she was like, Oh, I, and I said, So you have higher standards for yourself than God does. She goes, yeah, well, But she goes, That's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> so just kind of throwing but I, I like what you said, like, it's there it's sitting there as a gift and yeah if there was a gift under the christmas tree and no one ever opened it like well what's the point of the person you know giving it to you then if if you're just going to leave it sitting there i like that analogy so good job with the curveball question you're welcome (laughs) so i got a couple questions to to wrap up and these are questions uh in these interviews um i'm going to be mostly i think Uh, for now, interviewing mental health professionals, but I would like to also interview people who aren't mental health professionals. So these are more for mental health professionals. um, And then just for our listeners who are thinking about uh, getting into counseling therapy groups, uh, spiritual group, uh, 12-step group, something like that. Carrie, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's thinking about receiving mental health services?
1: I would just say it is worth it. And to tell someone that you're thinking about that and get their support and accountability in the process. Even for those of us who've been in the field a long time, therapists need therapists. I got my own therapist. I was in a consultation group the other day with a bunch of counselors and all of us had our own counselors. But the process, even for me, as someone who's in the field, regularly networking with people, it probably took me like a year before I ever even like finally scheduled, finally attended, finally did it, you know? And so I would just say, tell someone and get their support and accountability. That is huge.
0: I love that. Cause I, I think it's easy to say, well, just go get a counselor. Like if you're thinking about it, go do it. Um, obviously, like you said, it's not that easy. And I heard this stat once. It was the, the median amount of time. It takes someone... With I think I think it was like severe mental uh, health concerns, ten years. I was like that is a long time to suffer unnecessarily. Uh, but I like that that you kind of offered a step. don't don't leap right into counseling if you're uh, not quite ready, but tell someone what you're thinking about. and I, that's I love that piece of advice, and i'm I'm gonna steal that as well. Um so I've asked you a whole bunch of questions today. Uh, loving your answers. I'm taking notes. I'm go back to this stuff uh obviously not everyone's going to remember everything in this interview what's one thing you would like people to get out of the interview today
1: yeah we have covered so many different things you know and um so two i think a two-part thing for me one um from the christian well okay the, the
0: question was one thing I, I'm, I I'm gonna know. allow it because you've been very nice to me but just for the record i asked for one but I'll, I'll let you have two you did
1: you did you did But, you know, I would say that, you know, it's so important, you know, as a Christian therapist, I have to say, you know, that I would want someone to take away just knowing that if they're seeking, they're struggling in that way, just to know that God in Christ is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit that he sees and he hears and he gifts counselors to do the same, to be his hands and feet, to see and to hear and to bear witness to that struggle that they may be in. Um, I have a, I have a box in my office, my Kleenex box actually has verses from scripture that all have things related to crying or weeping and I've always loved the verse that talks about how Christ had loud cries and sobs um, to the one who could hear him and to the one who could save and so I say if Jesus can cry loudly then so can we <laughs> and we have a savior who understands that and I just think that's so important um, not only for someone who might be just seeking counseling but also for the counselors themselves you know that they are not alone in that journey of being with someone and journeying with someone that they have strength um, outside of themselves as well as part of their counseling process
0: awesome like we said, God gives counselors. I was speaking to a friend and he said, um, I was always just told, go pray about it. Uh, but you don't need to go talk to someone like that. I guess he was kind of taught that's not Christian of you to go like, just trust God, feel happy. And that's it. Um, but you know, I, I, like we said, God created counselors like that, you know, so if that's, if that's the case, then, then why aren't we using that gift and that tool? I love that. I love that. Um, Carrie, man, so much awesome stuff today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you got a session to get to a little bit later this evening, um, but I really appreciate your time. If people are wanting to get in touch with you, uh, where can they do that? What's the best way to go about finding Carrie Breedlove?
1: Yeah, the best way is through my website. It's Breedlovecounseling.com, and then I'll give my email, my phone over here as well, Um, but The website has everything. It has all my contact information as well as just some valuable resources as well. I have some blog posts some video posts and things on there um, that could just be really encouraging and helpful for people. So that's breedlovecounseling.com. My email is Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E at breedlovecounseling.com. And my phone number is 940-448-0298.
0: Awesome. What's your home address and which windows are easy to get into? (laughs) Carrie, thank you so much. I'll put links to all that stuff on uh, the, like I said, my Facebook, Instagram, and my website as well. So if you forget that, if you wrote the number down wrong, I'll have links to all that stuff. Carrie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. And just like the first one, I had such a blast in this interview.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. And now a disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional mental health diagnosis or treatment. If you have serious questions or concerns about your mental health, please speak with a mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your mental health.